Blog Talk Radio. This is Mark Grace, and you're listening to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sandpeed. Dumplingstown Studios 2 in Bayside, New York. It is ready to unload with Cal and Sam Deep. Welcome to episode 1124 of the big show. It is Tuesday night. It is 9.30. It is August 23rd. We are Cal and Sam Deep. We are ready to unload. Just like the song says, we got a great show coming up for you. We have our NCAA guy, our buddy Mike Huber. And we have Phil Soto-Ortiz to talk about the Giants and the Yankees. It's going to be a hot one. So stay tuned to episode 1124 coming to you in about 14 seconds. In about 8 seconds. As the fade, the fade route, somebody hit fade on the song, the intro song. There it is. Ooh, delicious. Welcome to Ready to Unload with Cal and Sam Pete, the podcast, the experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Steve San Pietro, and joining me is my partner in crime, my partner in grime, my partner in all things sublime, Brian Typing, Hunting, and Pecking. Cal live from the newsroom. <laughs> Calcio, Caliente, Calvi. What's up, Brian? I'm I'm in the newsroom. Hello. Very, it's it's real authentic. Yes, it as was. If, if, those were typewriters that were going. You are you are akin to Walter Cronkite, uh, Edward R. Murrow. You're great ones. Brokaw, uh, Ernie Anastas, the great ones. <laughs> Doug Johnson. <laughs> John Johnson. John Johnson. Remember John Johnson when we were kids? I think he was on Channel Seven. He was on Channel 7. And I could never for the life of me figure out how someone could name their son John when their last right. name was Johnson. Right. I thought – I used to laugh. Yeah. I got a hearty – it was I, <laughs> that would be like me being named Steve Steverson <laughs> or Steve Stevenson. Steve Stevenson. Or Steve Stevens. I'm not named any of those things, Brian. Wasn't Steve Stevens a guitarist? I believe he was. Isn't that uh, Steve Stevens was the guitarist for David Lee Roth and the solo albums? Was he not? 
he might have been. I don't know. Uh, well, anyway, we are off to a blazing start. Welcome to the show, Cal. And uh, we had an earthquake today. That's not, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not a typo. No, we we really did have an earthquake here in in the uh, New York metropolitan area. We did. We had an earthquake. We were gonna get uh, completely chock full of shtick and play like uh, I feel the earth, right? Something like that to open. We're not we're not gonna do that. It was it was an earthquake. It was, but it was we were we were considered tremors here in New York. We weren't even part of the uh, the epicenter. No, but it was. I mean. Now, listen, not all of us spent some time out on the left coast in right. this room. You know, one of us did. Uh, so for the other one that hasn't, this was an, a unique experience. I've never experienced an earthquake before, and it was, um, wasn't scary, but it was weird. It was just very strange. It, it is a strange experience, and, and I'm not going to pretend to be some earthquake connoisseur. Like, I was sitting there while it was shaking, and I'm like, ugh. I'm sending this earthquake back. <laughs> I'm, I'm thoroughly unimpressed. Yeah. Um, because it's it, it's a scary experience, A, and B, you know, who the hell am I? I spent a couple of years in Los Angeles, and, and you know what's significant about my earthquake experience in Los Angeles, Cal? Do you have a story? I do have a story. Our good oh. friend, uh, Danny Bacala. Sure. Dan uh, – uh, Nello was uh, staying with me when I was living out there. He was doing a rotation at the Veterans Hospital out in Westwood. He's a uh, he's a he's a doctor. He's a neurological doctor. We're not even making another one. Up. We 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 surround ourselves with doctors. If you haven't noticed, <laughs> that's correct. Uh, and when you're as klutzy as Cal and I are, right? That's a good thing that we have a urologist if anything goes wrong with the penis, and we have a neurologist if anything goes wrong with the other head. Oh, crap. Not really. I did it. Sorry. Anyway. Oh, Steve. <laughs> so back to back to your LA story about yeah, the earthquake. So, uh, my first earthquake out there was uh, September ninth, two thousand and one. Really? Two days before nine eleven, on the Sunday before nine eleven, oh, and boy. Dan Dan and I were in my apartment. And both of us being raised in New York, never having been through one. And it was, uh, you know, the epicenter I think was like Santa Monica, but it was only like a 4-2 or something like that or a 4 or something. It wasn't any sort of rim rocker apparently. Right. Uh, scared the living crap out of us. Scared the really? crap out of us. And we immediately, inexplicably, ran to a doorway. Okay. I think we saw that on a health film. Because you're you're not getting a ton of education on what to do during an earthquake when you grow up on Long Island. No. You know, like your kids today live through an earthquake. They did, but unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, they were in the car, so they didn't feel it. Oh. So this is all much ado about nothing to them. Were they disappointed? They're well, well, they're they're just they're confused by the commotion because you know, in their mind, if there was an earthquake, they would have felt it. Right. They don't they don't understand what the what the hubbub is. They're very unaffected these kids. They <laughs> very unaffected. Uh yeah. I just I just uh well they've seen, you know, when you have a dad as dynamic as you are. Right. That's true. 
I, I have kind of set the bar high for entertainment you, you, for them. You, you really got to go out of your way. I mean, you're a song and dance man. We know this. Yeah, well, um, what are you going to do? But this, yep. so yeah, so they, yeah, they, they lived through an earthquake. They can. That's right. They, they can brag about that at school next week. So I just, uh, I just got a text from our buddy Scott, who's listening out there, uh-huh. who said, who said Steve Stevens played for Billy Idol. Okay. If you remember Rebel Yell, the guy with the ridiculous, huge, black hair. Sure, who doesn't? Teased to the moon hair. That's Steve Stevens. He also, now that it's jogging my memory, is the guitarist on the Top Gun soundtrack. Really? So the Top Gun anthem is Steve Stevens. Well, there you go. Look at that. Should I? uh, I'll stop. Oh, also, Scott wants us to know that his wife, Steve Stevens' wife, is stupid hot. Wow. So thanks for the tip there. How he does this, I have no idea. That's incredibly hot. That's right. He he put about eight O's. Stupid hot. I mean, Scott does not throw that stupid word around. He's not. He's he's not a and he's not a gawker. He's not no. a guy with with ladies. Not at all. So if he's saying that, then... Yeah, she must be silly hot. She's off the charts. Yes. Anyway, uh, Cal, we have a, a good show here. Yeah, lots, lots going on. Well, we're going to talk to... Uh, sports. Exactly. Uh, isn't it amazing how unwatchable the Mets have become in literally the span of 10 days? I want to talk... We're not really going to talk about the Mets tonight, no, are we? No, no, no. I, I was just throwing that out there. Okay, because I just have one thing, one thing I want to I, – and I thought about this on, on the way home. I was listening to the game, and it's, it's now 9-3. Yay! But I was thinking about this, and it's funny because I thought – I have this thought. I said I got to ask Steve tonight when we're on the air, mm-hmm. and not 10 minutes later, Howie Rose brought it up on the air of the game. Naturally. When, uh, when Wayne Hagen was, was fake, you know, feigning upsetment oh, or – Oh, there's no joy in Metsville. He used, that, he used that line. And then Howie Rose brought up the point that I wanted to bring up to you. Do you think that this recent stretch, they lose tonight, that'll be five out of their last they'll, – they'll be five and 17 yeah. in the last 22 games. They'll be eight games under 500 at this seven. point? Seven, seven games under 500. Seven, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, the numbers are all bleeding together. But mm-hmm. do you think that this recent stretch – totally obliterates the first four months of the season where they were kind of a feel-good team and they were gritty and they were gutty and we really enjoyed watching them. Does this, does this wipe it out? It's starting to. And if, and it, if it really does, is. I was watching them tonight, and I not only was disinterested, but couldn't even get disgusted at how the Phillies were smacking them around. And when I, when I have apathy, not mm. empathy, it's a bad scene. And it it's starting to. They they really need to put together a five or six game winning streak just to make you feel. But how can they possibly with that pitching? Look, I'm not. We're not. It's a great. No, it's, it's a great question. My answer would be it's starting to. It really is. And how much how much more will will it take to completely obliterate it and really make this season a disaster? Like if like if this lasts the rest of the season, their season's a disaster, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, and all the good that Terry Collins, all of his goodwill that he accumulated, 
he's 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 just like Jerry Manuel. He's just like Willie Randolph when it comes down to it. But also, Cal, it'll be the disaster that everybody said it would be. Right. So uh, that's it, true. That's it, and that's what we always hung our hat on this year right. was that they, you know, they're they're showing the pundits that they're not the disaster that they were supposed to be. They're fighting, and now they've kind of like now they're kinda, now they're said disaster. Anyway, let's get off the Mets, please. That's uh, I wanted to. No, no, it's a great question, but um, my answer is this. You can have my answer now. My my offer is nothing, not even the fee for the gaming license, which I appreciate you would put up. Um, we uh, we have Mike Huber, uh, Hubie, our buddy Hubie's going to join us in a couple of minutes. We're going to give him a shout, talk to him about – he's our NCAA guy, Cal. Yeah, uh, he is. He's our buddy who's really uh, knowledgeable about the NCAA, a bit of a gambler, as we know. Well, to each his own. It's a, that's right. Uh, but he's going to talk to us about the NCAA stuff with uh, the U, Miami, and also the Terrell Pryor stuff. Shockingly, Al Davis takes him uh, for the Raiders in the supplemental draft. No, the best. Nobody saw that coming. The best part about that was that that was the only pick of the supplemental draft. That's it. It was Terrell Pryor. It was the Terrell Pryor draft. That they moved. They moved up a week just for him. <laughs> it, was, it was just funny. And then uh, we're going to be joined by Phil Soto Ortiz, uh, who's a guy who uh, I think he joined us back in May or uh, March or April. Talk Yankees. He's going to talk Giants with us. Giants football. Uh, he's great. So uh, we're going to talk to him too. So um, Cal, let's call Hubie. You want to just call Hubie? Uh, we could do that. Let's call our buddy Mike Huber and let's see. Let's see if Mike's uh, available. Let's see. This is exciting. Live radio. Live radio. Unless you're listening tomorrow. Unless you're on a treadmill on Tuesday next week. Let's see. This is exciting. Hello? Is this uh, Michael Huber, please? Yes, it is. Hello, Steve-O. <laughs> What's up, Huey? Welcome uh, <laughs> Well, welcome into the program. Say hi, Cal. Cal, what's hey, up, Mike? brother? How you doing, Mike? I thought we had the wrong number for a second. <laughs> I like a lot of drama there. I like to make a big entrance. <laughs> We're like, that son of a gun's going to make us wait. I can't believe this. <laughs> uh, Hubie, welcome uh, welcome back to the show, my brother. We wanted to, uh, to get you on because... Uh, you know the NCAA and the U and this and Terrell Pryor. This has gone crazy, go nuts. What is going on, Michael? Well, you know, I I, I thought about this some um, in advance of our discussion, and quite honestly, nothing surprises me anymore. And I think the NCAA is so screwed up now. I think this is going to be one of those rubber hits the road incidents. It's going to be either we've got to change our system and our rules, which are utterly absurd, or we're going to turn our cheek, look the other way, and just become a complete laughing stock, even more so than we are perceived to be today. I, I, I just I don't see how the NCAA cannot look at this scandal, if you want to call it that, and ultimately decide that they need to overhaul their system of legislation and, and, and enforcement. It's 
it's a joke. It continues to be a joke, and they need to figure out that, you know, the world doesn't operate like it's 1950 anymore. They have to operate like it's 2011. Yeah, for sure. Now, now, uh, Hugh, couple things. Let's let's backtrack a touch uh, and and talk specifically about what's coming out with with Miami, right? Uh, none of this. Well, actually, strike that. Let's go back even further to Terrell Pryor and and Ohio State and and the coach and tattoos and jerseys and all this. Uh, it, what did the NCAA do by uh, you know uh, sanctioning you um, Ohio State first? I mean, was that uh, – did that make this Miami thing inevitable? Are they just going to go down like dominoes every big program? I mean, there's like 11 or 12 big programs under investigation. Well, the, the only reason the NCAA knows about any of these programs is because somebody dropped a dime, not right. because the NCAA has any idea about what's going on, which is part of the problem. They have 40-some-odd enforcement officers for – 120 football programs and 300-plus <laughs> basketball programs, 40, 40 people. Well, how can they know if anything is going on unless somebody tells them? So in every instance, whether it's Ohio State or it's Miami or it's whoever, they're being advised of what's going on. If they're not advised, they would never know that anything is happening. And when they do find out, they don't take the proper steps to punish these programs the way they should be punished. When Ohio State was caught, put their hand in the cookie jar, Trestle lied, withheld information, and then they suspended the players for the next year instead of suspending them for the Sugar Bowl, that was a joke, okay? Right. And that's the, pro that's the problem. The problem is, is that money drives the decision-making. And I, I saw, I read something the other day, which I thought was really, really interesting in saying that it's, it, it's almost as if, they nail Miami to the wall, are they going to be able to give them the appropriate punishment? Because if you take a program like Miami out of the national spotlight and you take them out of sort of, they're no longer a moneymaker, then, then the NCAA loses a cash cow. Well, are they going to do that? Uh, you know, it's saying their, their actions are driven by what, the checkbook says, and, and that's the problem. If they just change the rules to make them more realistic so that Terrell, Terrell Pryor could sell his jersey for tattoos and, and whatever, and Miami could take bottles of Cristal or whatever the hell they're getting in terms of benefits from agents, well, then it, we'd all be better off. That reflects the world today. The problem is the rules are arcane and they have no way to enforce them. So it looks 100 times worse than it is. Right. Now, you mentioned two really key things there, Hugh, right? One of them is the idea of changing the system and seeing a sea change in how NCAA players or the NCAA athlete is, is treated, and specifically for football. I mean, I think the problem, or one of the problems lies in the, fact, in the fact that the NFL doesn't have a minor league system, right? College right. football is the minor league system, uh, is, is the developmental league for the NCAA, and we're going to talk about uh, Goodell uh, actually suspending prior before he gets in the league. We're going to talk about that in a minute, Hugh, because I want to see what you think of that. But uh, what ca what ca can they make that change, Michael? Can they start paying the NCAA athlete, and can they pick and choose by sport? I mean, is it fair to give the same amount of money to the guy on the men's volleyball team as it is to give this, you know, uh, the the pay to the guy who's a starting quarterback for Michigan? 
Well, they could do whatever they want. I think if they were to change the rule to some sort of, you know, player or student-athlete compensation, I think you'd have to pay football players more. You're looking at a market-driven solution. Football makes the most money. It derives the most profits. Therefore, those players are the most valuable and should get paid accordingly. Um, whereas the men's volleyball player it basically plays in a sport that loses money. Should he be compensated? Maybe he should be compensated at a minimum level, but not the same as the football player. You know, the NCAA sort of hangs its hat on this, you know, sort of notion of amateurism and equity. Well, that's just not realistic anymore. When they, when, when the NCAA came to be many moons ago, football did not generate the money that it does today. And these players and these coaches are in a position of power. They have egos and they want to be taken care of, and they want to have the, the, the tools to succeed and to be clamped down by the NCAA, which fairly or unfairly has these very arcane rules, um, is, it's just unrealistic. And if they, opened, if they opened it up, if they opened the book and they say, hey, listen, we're going to change these things to reflect the way the world is today, you know, we'd start from scratch. But, but for the NCAA to, to admit that their, their system is, is flawed and, and to start over, I don't see it. I mean, it's a, it's, 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 it's a, it's a hip, you know, hypocritical organization. It's like, it's like, you know, it's like FIFA, you know, it's, it's, it's corruption and it's, you know, no, it's true. And it's all driven by money. They don't want to give up the cash cow, but then they want to, you know, then they want to enforce on the back end and, and pick and choose and do things that are, are blatantly, you know, are, are blatantly incongruous with, with the violations as they relate to the rules. And so it's just, it's, to me, it's a, it's a farce. And everyone can see it, and you see it every day on in ESPN, and and they don't want to do anything to change it. They don't want to admit it, and it's time that they admit it. Now, Hubie, even if the NCAA starts compensating some of these players, do you really think that the problems are going to go away? I mean, what's to stop a booster from from offering a kid another couple of bucks on top of what the NCAA has given them, or uh, you know, a car or, or trips, or you know, I I, I think that. It's, it's a step in the right direction to maybe compensate these kids, but I don't think that the problems automatically go away by just opening that up. What do you think? Well, I think that's a good point. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I think if you compensate them at a, a relatively fair, whatever that might be, level, I think you, you mitigate those problems substantially because then the player is going to have the incentive to follow the rules because he's getting something out of it. Now he gets right. nothing out of it by definition. You could say he gets an education, but rea- the reality is, 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 he's, is he going to school to play football or is he going to school to get an education? He's going to school to play football, as Steve alluded to, in a developmental sense. I need to play for three years to get to the draft. If that rule changed, if they let kids come out at 18 years old and teams could draft them at 18 years old, safety concerns aside, that would change the market. You know, because then it's like, okay, you can come out at 18. What are you going to do? You're going to come out at 18? You're going to come out at 19? You're going to come out at 20? Well, then you have to decide when you want to come out and get paid. Now they're forced to stay, and they don't really care. They're just trying to get through so they can get drafted. So, I, I mean, I don't think it eliminates the problems, but I think it, it, it takes a big step towards towards reducing those problems. Have we, Mike, have we eliminated entirely, you alluded to it, have we eliminated entirely this idea that the compensation is supposed to be a free education. I mean, have we, and and that's why the, you know, the the playing field is level for all collegiate athletes. That if you have a scholarship, you have a scholarship. 
and everybody's getting. I mean, I, I mean, have we eliminated this as an antiquated notion that that needs to just you know just they, they need to realize that it doesn't work? I, I, I think I think so. Um, it, it, it's not. I used the basketball example before, but I think it's the right way to look at it. When when players, basketball players, could come out of high school and enter the draft immediately at 18, and even now under the one and done rule at 19, you know what they're there for. You know they're going to come to school for a year and they're going to go to the draft. Or the kids that want to get drafted are going right to, they're going right to the pros because they want the money. Well, you know there are kids who are coming in day one into college football who that's their goal. Well, the way it stands now, you're giving them an education, but it, it really doesn't mean anything because they're not—they're they're probably not using it to the best of their ability because all they want to do is, is is play football. Now, if that's unfair, I'm sure there are plenty of kids who come to school to work hard to get their, their degree, but and it's an oversimplification. But I think the notion of that the education is is the compensation is 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 completely antiquated, and the longer the NCAA holds on to that, the worse it's going to get. And you you mentioned, uh, or Cal, you mentioned it too. The real criminal here, or not criminal, but it seems like it seems to, it seems to me, guys, that the seedy freaking element in this that you always hear about is either the agent or the booster. I mean, and no, I, I don't mean to exonerate the the kids entirely, okay? But if if you're a kid who comes from an impoverished background, and all of a sudden, and and you're a fantastic athlete, and all of a sudden you're at Miami. Okay, and a booster and or an agent, or you know they have these runners now, right, Mike? Like they they have these guys that that act as runners for the agents. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 he's offering you, you know, a, a thirty five thousand dollar car. Why should I say no? I mean, rules are no rules. Like, I mean, what's my incentive to say no? Whereas the boosters are are and and the these runners for the agents are the problem here. Well. The boosters are only a problem, or the agents, the street agents, if you will, are a problem. Is because there's a black market for these players' services. If you think of it, think about it in 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 the context of 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 gambling, right? right. There's, there's there's legal gambling in Las Vegas, and there's illegal gambling everywhere else. Well, there's a black market for it because people want it, but they can't have it. So what are they going to do? They're going to do it illegally because that's all there is. It's the same here. Listen, if they open, and this is the extreme example, I don't think you'll ever see this, but think about it. There's a value for a Terrell Pryor. Terrell Pryor, five-star recruit, plays at Ohio State, 90,000 people every weekend. School makes a ton of money. Well, why can't the school, school give Terrell Pryor a $500,000 signing bonus for his services, right? Mm. Because the, kid, the kid's not going to school on the merits of the education. He's not going to school on the school's colors. He's going there because he's getting something, whether it's enough of a, 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 a you know, a development in a, in a top-notch program to come out of the pros and be a first-round draft pick, or he's getting something under the table. If you open that up and the school says, listen, I got millions of dollars in my coffers, and I'm going to pay you $300,000 to come here. Well, listen, that's, that's the way it should be. The problem is the NCAA is never going to sanction that because all the little programs are going to lose out. The irony of it is that they lose out anyway. They just don't want to admit it. The same things happen under the system. It just happens It happens illegally right, or against the rules. or not illegally, but it happens against the rules, and then there's embarrassment. Well, if you make it open book and you create a market, you eliminate the street agents because it's all transparent. Right. That's right. Yeah, no, that's right. Cal, we were yeah we were talking about this idea too, and and uh, Daniel Alderondo wrote on our site uh, for us. He wrote a little blog entry too about 
uh, you know, just about the U and stuff like that and, and Terrell Pryor and stuff. And, and Hugh, one of the things that we can't seem to figure out is how do you, how do you make the punishment fit the crime? Like you talked about it earlier. Do you give Miami the death penalty and take away a complete, you know, uh, uh, symbolic program, cash cow program? You know, it, it, the, the, is the death penalty really – does it really work? Is it really a deterrent? Right. Well, here, here's the thing. You, you asked the question before about Terrell Pryor being suspended by the NFL, right? You brought that point up, and I think that's a perfect example of what needs to happen. They need to look at the way things are happening and punish the people who are responsible. So, for instance, in that instance, Terrell Pryor, okay, the rules are the rules. If you assume that the rules are the rules, Terrell Pryor broke the rules. So he should be accountable. He should not be able to leave school to avoid punishment to go to the NFL. So in that sense, I commend Roger Goodell in the sense that they cooperated. They have to cooperate, right? If you think that college football is the minor league for the NFL, there needs to be cooperation, just as if there was a minor league player who tested positive for HGH, right? right. So prior needs to be punished for his actions. The other person that needs to be punished for his actions is Jim Trestle, which means Jim Trestle can't come back and work in college football in two years somewhere else because there's job opening. And you can't right. punish Luke Fickle for being the guy who succeeds him because he had nothing to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, in that instance, you've got to punish the existing coaching staff somehow, okay, in a legacy yeah. situation where they come out. You have to punish, find a way to punish the player if that means they're out of school where they can't jump to the pros or they're suspended when they get to the NFL for a year. Well, if you're suspended for a year, what's the point of getting drafted? You don't get paid, right? So maybe you're not going to do it because you're coming to play college football to get to the NFL. Well, if you're suspended for your first year of your career and you're not making your, your $10 million signing bonus, then what's the point? You're going, to, you're going to follow the rules, and then you have to punish the school. But they don't do it that way. They punish the school for what's left behind, and, that, and that's not right. If the school's proven to not be complicit, then you can't punish the school. You have to punish the individuals or find some way to mirror what's actually happening. What happens now does not mirror what's actually happening. It's a complete, it's like, it's a complete joke. Like they turn their head and say, okay, you know what, we're not going to punish you. They didn't punish Jim Trussell. For the Sugar Bowl, they didn't punish Terrell Pryor for the Sugar Bowl because you know what? Who's going to watch the Sugar Bowl when Joe Bowserman is under center and Ohio State's losing twenty-seven to three? Right? No, no, no. Let's wait till next year when they play Toledo and Akron and all these other schools that have no chance because no one's watching. I mean, right. that's the reality, and that right. that has to change. They have to they have to put their foot down and punish these schools and punish themselves in essence as being the oversee of these schools. They have to take responsibility. It's like passing the buck. NCAA has to take responsibility and bite the bullet when Ohio State, when they when they make a mistake, they have to bite the bullet and they don't want to right. do that. Right. And and you, you hit on a, you know, you hit on a key uh, topic right off the bat, Mike, with the idea of 40 guys policing the whole system. Unbelievable. I mean, I mean what, kind, what but, kind of budget is the NCAA working with? Well, well, if you look at the, C, the the president of the, the NCA, I don't know exactly what he makes, but it's over seven figures, and it's a yeah. and it's a big number. So, so again, they have to look. at The NCA doesn't want to look at itself and say we need to make some changes. They like the way things are going, even though they're right. they're constantly being ridiculed and embarrassed because it's just, you know, it 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 it, 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 it really to come back to it, it's a farce. Yeah, they don't care. They're making money. What? What? Exactly. Exactly. They, but they it's so they don't care about their reputation as long as they're making money, they're and their printing. reputation is in the toilet right now. Yeah. 
Well, and so, and, and so, if they, if all they want to do is make money, then why don't they let these, these these players make money who are putting money in their pocket? It's a very simple, it's yeah. a very simple, very simple concept. And I'm not saying, listen, make it. I, I'm not suggesting that they do what I said before, which is make it open market and have schools write checks to players. But you, you can look at the system and say, how do we truly overhaul this? They have all sorts of committees every two years and every year. They say we're going to do this and we're going to do that, and they never do anything. So stop. Stop jerking our chain and either just admit that, that you're hypocritical or, or take a hard look and say, hey, we're going to change this as much as we don't want to because the NCAA should still be able to make money if these players are getting paid. It's the same, it's the same system of economics. In fact, it's more transparent. But it's just, you know, it, it, to me, it's like I, I've treated this like a treat, I treated the NFL lockout. I, I didn't really – pay that close of attention because it's it's like the boy who cried wolf. Everybody throws their arms up in the air and makes a big stink and at the end of the day everybody goes back to doing what they were doing because they're all making money and it's just it it's it, it's 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 not worth my time to pay attention because you say the same thing over and over until you're blue in the face and nothing ever changes. Yeah, I I, I totally agree Mike. And and you know we the other thing that we've talked about, because we've had you on a bunch of times, because you're you're great with the NCAA tournament and stuff like that. So we've had you on talking about college basketball, and you know these these things have gone on in college. Ba- I mean, you you went to a big school. Cal went to a basketball school. I went to a little basketball school, but still saw. I mean, we all saw the same things while we were at school. You know, we all knew guys that that were getting more than than uh, the proud universities that we were at were giving them. I mean, let's be right. honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. But I, I think when it comes to football, they have so watered down the product in college football. The, the fact that there's 217 friggin' bowl games, there's you know, I, I think we sponsor one actually, Cal. I think, yeah, I think it's in October. <laughs> I think I think we got the RTU Sports Bowl. I, I'm I'm proud to say. It's on Hofstra's campus, Cube. Right. You might want to come out for that next year. <laughs> Comac High School. <laughs> yeah, it kicks off the bowl season. <laughs> That's right. The RTU Sports Bowl. Right. Oh, uh, I think goodness. we get. I think we get the winner of the Mac and the Great Mac. <laughs> I think we get. I think that's who plays that. But you know, they they've watered uh, down bowl season to the point, Hugh, where there's there's no uh, champion. There's you know the BCS is a computer system. You lose one game to the wrong person on the wrong day by the wrong amount of points and you can't win a championship. And, and, and it's one of these deals where like, it seems to me, like you just said, support your cried wolf. Everybody's cheating. It's just a matter of which booster says something from jail. Right. Exactly. You, you, you basically hit the nail on the head until somebody exactly says something from jail or somebody emails, emails Jim Trussell, you know, that he's being investigated by the feds. I mean, it's, it's this, there's there's no way to know until you get caught and someone drops a dime. That's it. And, and to talk about the bulls, it's the same simple answer. It's money. You, what you mean to tell me when the NCAA says, "Hey, listen, our student athletes don't want to play. We can't play three more games." Really? I mean, they do it in one double A, and they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it to crown a champion. Well, you can do it in one A or you know, the, the football bowl subdivision, you can do it. The difference is, is you don't want to give up bowl games. You don't want to give up money. You want to create more bowl games and under the same system so you can make as much money as possible. Creating a playoff may not do that for you. And you have all these bowls, individual bowls at the bowl committee in the Fiesta Bowl. 
there was something crooked going on there because of money, you know, and, and it's the same idea that everybody just wants to make money and there's no, there's, there'd be more integrity if everybody just knew what was going on, even if everybody was getting paid. At right. least it's an open market, you know. Right. They just, they, there's an ongoing charade and, you know, and, and, and it's, none of it is, is truly considered, you know. It's not even acknowledged. And as a fan or if you're an analyst, Know, professional analyst on TV on ESPN, and and you criticize and you comment and you opine and nobody listens. It's everyone sees the same things and no one does anything, and it's just it's it's just it's infuriating. So what you do is you just you just tune it out, and I guess that's what they want. They want you to tune it out, forget about it, and watch football, get that you on football, what? and do fantasy and whatever else. Exactly. You know what, Hugh? I blame Tostitos. I think at the end of the day, this is Tostitos' fault. You just, you just brought up something though that is absolutely hysterical to me, and that is, like you just, like you said, um, the one double A football has a playoff. Yep. These are kids who are thoroughly not getting paid. They don't even have scholarships, and and they can do a playoff there. But where what? you know what I mean, like where, at at the, the where they should be doing it in, in Division One. And having a playoff, they don't because those kids can't play three more games because and, they're scholar yeah. because they're scholar athletes. But the kid from the kid from UPenn can play three more games. Well, listen, <laughs> the, the, even... kid from U, the kid from UPenn is going to be my doctor someday. I don't want him to play three more games. <laughs> so go to school and learn how to cut somebody open. That's right. I want Terrell Pryor playing those three games. I have no problem with that. I'm going to see him play in the NFL on Sunday. But, 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 but even if you look at college basketball, so all that's wrong with college basketball, they still have a tournament, right? They have a tournament that runs through midterm exams. Kids are flying all over the country to play at all hours of the day. They go on the road. They have tutors. They take their tests. They do their homework. And they acknowledge that that's an issue, and they deal with it. You do the same thing in football. It's just an excuse to keep the bowl system in place, which is what they believe to be the system that's going to make them the most money. And that's that's the only reason that it that it doesn't change. That's the only reason. And until someone admits that, that I won't be I won't be satisfied. I won't stop watching, but I won't be satisfied. And, and there'll be, be like I said, go ahead. No, no, go finish your thought. No, and I was gonna and I was gonna say, you know, um, I lost my train of thought, Cal. <laughs> Damn! Damn you! Guys, <laughs> if it's important, they'll come back. Can you go ahead and ask your question? I'm sorry. No, I, I just I said one last thing for you. You were talking about how you're happy the way uh, Roger Goodell uh, imposed the suspension on Terrell Pryor. Now, how do you feel about the fact that Pete Carroll was allowed to leave USC with with no repercussions whatsoever? Well, I, I think that goes back. Yeah, that. To me, that goes back to the point of punishing those who bear the responsibility. Now, I don't know if Pete Carroll was responsible, but I'm sure he knew. And I think that the same policy needs to be in place for the coaches that are, that are there for the players. And I think it is, it's a good point because I think there's some hypocrisy in it, although I think this may have been a case where Roger Goodell just felt so much pressure that he had to set that precedent. Now, he came out and said very explicitly, this is not a precedent. Well, really? Well, you did it, so it is a precedent. Like, are you telling me it's not a precedent? Does it make it not one? It is a precedent. So it'll be interesting to see if if if, if they if they carry through. Because if they do, I think it's great. There has to be more cooperation between college football and the NFL if you're going to want to punish people the appropriate way. 
if they don't do it, and this is just a one-off for Terrell Pryor, well then, you know, great for them. But it was really a waste. It was a waste of effort. Um, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, I think, and Hugh, I'm sorry. I think the thing with Carroll, and 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 to a lesser degree, Reggie Bush is a sham. I mean, I, I I mean, I think that these guys, in light of what Goodell is doing for Pryor or whatever, the fact that Pete Carroll gets to skip town out of L.A. after complete and, and knowing everything that went on at that at that university and knowing what went on with Reggie Bush, and gets to skip town up to Seattle when everybody knew why is he leaving USC? He's a god in Los Angeles. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows Pete Carroll knew about it, Hugh. And yep. he got off. And he got off scot free. And he left that program in disarray. Well, that's a, it's a great it's a great point, and it's probably something that Roger Goodell should be called on and said, how come how come coaches aren't treated the same way that Terrell, Terrell Pryor is, you know, is being treated? And I'd be right. I'd be very curious to, to hear to hear the answer. I mean, really, what happened to USC? They lost a couple of scholarships, which is, is impactful. It impacts your depth. Okay, they they vacated their wins. Oh boy! And Reggie Bush gave back his trophy. Well, they're, and they're on probation for two years, so they don't play in a bowl game. But the reality is, is that they made so much money during the run, and they built up so much um, capital that they can absorb two years of probation. They're going to come back right to where they were, and they're going to they're going to it's like they hadn't missed a beat. So to me, it's BS. And again, it goes back to saying, look at the problems, look at the violations, look at the rules, and figure out what is the right way to deal with this that reflects reality today. There is no sense of reality in the NCAA and its rules and its enforcement. And it's it's it's. And we could talk. We could literally go all day and take one example after another example and be like, oh my God, these guys are such hypocrites. And it's so obvious to everybody. Tom, Dick, and Harry are on the phone. It's so obvious to us. But nobody else sees it, or no one else is doing anything about it. It's really, it's really, it's really a joke. So that, so that being said, Hugh, two things to close. One, what happens if they get to state? What do you do? And two, <laughs> when they're when they're going down that list. And number two, uh, preseason number one, who do you like? Uh, preseason number one, I, I, you know, I I, I think I, I say Oklahoma. Uh, and the only reason I say Oklahoma over Alabama is is, is the quarterback position. Um, Oklahoma has um, a slightly easier schedule to go through in the Big 12 with the loss of uh, a couple of those teams in the conference. Um, Alabama has got a, a tough run every week in the SEC, and, and they're breaking in the new quarterback. So I say Oklahoma one and Alabama two. Very nice. Hugh, thanks so much, brother. Uh, uh, fantastic as always. And, uh, you know, let's uh, let's let's talk during uh, maybe the Yankees World Series. We don't need a reason, Hugh. We just love having you. Are you assuming the Yankees are going to make it to the World Series? Uh, with my luck? Of course. <laughs> Yankees, Yankees, Phillies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be wonderful for a Mets fan. Write it down. Yankees, Phillies. <laughs> Yankees, Phillies, part two. The rematch. Write it down. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. All right, gentlemen. Take care. All right. Have a good night. All right. So, uh, Mike Hubert, uh, fantastic stuff, Cal. Unbelievable. He's so good. He's he so, really is. You know, I've known Hubie for, you know, going on like five or six years now because he's one of the guys in the baseball bunch. And, and uh, you know, every time we finish a little segment with him, I'll talk to him the next day and I'll be like, Mike, you were fantastic. And I'm like, you should really be doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, like you could, you could, he could be on ESPN Game Day tomorrow. Tomorrow, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and he's like, yeah, I know. Well, I'm going to go I'm gonna, I'm going to go feed my second child as I go back to work for the real estate company that I work for. Yeah, make him feel good. That's yeah. He's just so good though. He's just yeah. so fantastic. Uh, Cal, we're so chock full this program. We're going to go right to our next guest. Speaking of fantastic, we we're going to go right to our next guest, but I feel like we should play I feel like we should play theme music for him. He deserves theme music. Because yeah. he's been on hold, and it's not right, Cal. Not right. No, but he gets an Armatron watch when this is all over, so that's right. And a uh, gift certificate. A gift certificate to Donovan to Bayside. Right. That's right. For him and a loved one. Let's welcome back to the program a man who needs no introduction. But we'll do one anyway. Uh, the great, the brilliant... Phil Soto Ortiz is going to join us. Phil, how are you, my friend? Not too bad, especially after that intro and the theme music. Uh, that's uh, going to get anybody going. I think I'm motivated now. But before that, I was actually not sure about this. But after that music, I'm ready to go. Let's do this. <laughs> let's smash yeah. some lights. Let's let, let's uh, break some windows. Let's do this. Uh, Absolutely. Phil, welcome, welcome back to the program. Uh, we want we'll to talk back. to you. We want to say. I want to talk to you, of course, about uh, giant football, about the Yankees, your beloved Yankees. But Cal wants to know, uh, earthquake. Yeah, Phil, did did you survive Quake Quake Mageddon today? I did. You know, it was interesting. I'm sitting in my house getting some work done, working from home. And at first, I bought a house uh, just about two months ago, two and a half months ago. My wife and I are living. Uh, about half a mile from a, a very small airport in Lancaster, but there was a uh, an air show this past weekend. There were a lot of military fighter planes in town. I was watching them fly around Friday and Saturday. And as you can imagine, those kind of rattle the house when they fly over 2,000 feet that low over your house. I was thinking when I heard the rattling of some of my stuff and then felt a little shake that maybe that's what was going on. But then finally you could kind of see everything kind of shifted an inch and then back was really palpable, and at that point, I thought, well, I don't think it's a plane, and then when the rattling stopped, I listened for the sound of a plane disappearing off in the distance, and that didn't happen either. At that point, I knew it was the real thing, and uh, I said, uh, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, well, my you, house you isn't were... falling down. My whole my whole financial life is invested in that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but since there was no damage, then you could look back on it and think it was pretty cool, because uh, have you ever been through an earthquake before? You know, there was one, and I, I actually my mom called me earlier, and she was asking me, you know, are you all right? Yeah, Mom, I'm okay. This, this 5.8 earthquake 200 miles away didn't kill me. I'm fine. But um, <laughs> she had mentioned one that, went ha- that happened apparently when I was a little kid, and it kind of came rushing back. I do remember. And I said, Mom, was, was I home when that happened? She said, no, I think you were in school. I said, yeah. Actually, I do remember that. I was on a field trip in, I don't know, fifth grade, sixth grade. We're talking like 1984. And there was a little tremor. And, again, just nothing that you would even be scared of at the age of 11. But I do remember that happening. I was outside in the woods. It was an Audubon Society thing in, in Connecticut. But I, I remember that one as well. So this is, this is my second earthquake. I'm old. This is old hat for me now. Yeah, this is nothing. Yeah, Steve, you know, Steve spent some time out in California, so he poo-poos this whole thing. You know? I, did not, I did no poo-pooing whatsoever. No, hey, but I'll bet you a lot of people out in California are laughing that we're even talking about this at all. Yeah, <laughs> like somebody sneezing out there. Yeah, it's true. Well, when it rains for like five days in a row here or, or out there, and it's uh, rain Mageddon and right. the rain that's the earthquake. 
Yeah, we we can laugh at them because when I when I've watched people in L.A. drive when it's drizzling, and they treat it as if there's 17 feet of snow coming down and it's a whiteout. <laughs> so take that, L.A. Uh, Cal uh, and 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 Phil, we got to talk to you about the Yankees. Cal, please. Yeah, Phil, um, what's going on with with AJ Burnett? That's the that's the big question that we have. I mean. We've all kind of come to the conclusion, and, and we, we talk about this pretty much every week. Whenever we talk Yankees, this is like the one thing that we always talk about is A.J. Burnett, and he is what he is. And if you're sitting around waiting for him to blossom into something that he's never going to be, you're going to be waiting a long time. But now he's, he's starting to exhibit other issues, <laughs> is the best way to put it, than just – Yeah, you know, A.J. is a guy that I've, I've always I've, – I've been really patient with him. And not even patient, because honestly, I haven't expected very much right from the start. But I was willing to put up with it because, number one, it's not my money. I really don't care about that. And, you know, he's always seemed like a pretty good guy. He's an interesting guy. He definitely brought a lot of spirit to that clubhouse in 2009. The things with the pie in the face, that's gotten old now. But at the time, it absolutely seemed like it it was waking up a clubhouse that had been moribund. And there had been a lot of talk about that for a while um, but whether the bloom is off the rose and things are getting testy with him or not, I don't even care about that. But as far as running him out to the mound every fifth day, enough is enough is enough. I mean, how much more do we have to see before we realize that this guy, I mean, you know, and what's going to happen is that he's going to throw some two hit gem, probably against the Red Sox at some point down the stretch that's going to make everybody forget about the past three months, and it's going to be the biggest disaster in the world. And he does still have the stuff that can have that happen. It has happened, but, oh, man, it's going to be the ultimate false hope when it does because this guy is a is a game-two blowout waiting to happen in the <laughs> AL Division Series. Well, speaking of, speaking of that, Phil, let me let me ask you, brother, if you're doing this tomorrow, if the postseason starts tomorrow, and and you're playing the Tigers in the first round, okay, and everybody's on equal rest because you'll have run away with either the wild card or the division, um, so rest is not a problem. You know, where are you going in those five games? How are, how are you doing that? Well, AJ Burnett is not part of it at all. There's no <laughs> reason that he should be. Right. I don't know if you want to bring back Sabathia for game four. I I guess you can always play that by ear. If you're up two games to one, you don't do it. If you're down two games to one, you do. Um, You know, it could be tricky, and a lot's going to fall on Sabathia, and that's been the way it's been all along. It's been the hidden thing. Sabathia has had such a good year, but Verlander's had a better year. And Mm -hmm. if that's the way it goes and Verlander wins game, game, uh, game one, boy, the Yankees have some real decisions to make. I do think that there are capable arms there. Phil Hughes has been pitching very well of late, and he's going to be pretty well rested. I still have a lot of faith in that guy. I am not ready to give up on Phil Hughes. I haven't been for a while. Ivan Nova has been pitching extremely well. But we're talking about some very young kids for a a game two situation, especially in the case of Nova. Hughes has actually had quite a few moments in the postseason for the Yankees, dating all the way to 2007. And they actually came in and pitched pretty well in the game against Cleveland, the Yankees were eliminated. It wasn't Phil Hughes' fault. He pitched really well, kept the Yankees in the game. They just didn't get it done. But uh, 
as far as A.J. Burnett being part of that, there's just no way. Why would you do that? What more do you need to see to know what a bad idea is? I, I looked something up earlier, and he had a 4.05 ERA on the 29th of June, and his ERA has gone up every single start since then. I mean, not even a, a three runs over seven innings that gives you some kind of hope. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when he, when, he, when he is only getting five outs in a game, he's not even giving you the innings that, that they say he's giving you, you know, yeah. whether they're good uh, or bad. That was, um, I don't know if you call that the last straw. You can call that an aberration, because he certainly hasn't been that bad. Nobody could be that well, bad game in, game out. They'd never make it, but uh, yeah, and you well, can't I don't know if that's the... just him starting to really unravel. Yeah, I mean, you can't curse out the manager either while you're there and, and get caught on television doing it and then have the manager afterwards say, no, he didn't, and blah, 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 and it's a he said, he said situation. And, and it's just – it's acrimony that the Yankees don't need. They're chasing or ahead of or behind or whatever, you know, depending on the day. A very, very good Red Sox team. And, and I, I think it's time to take him out of the rotation. I think it's time to just cut the cord, send him to the bullpen – Set up Nova in there. Nova's pitched very well. I mean, Nova's won 13 games. Yeah, Nova's really been good. He's been reliable. You know, I've got this theory. Uh, it's a little bit off the subject, but I'm going to kind of wrap it around A.J. Burnett. That the Yankees, over a lot of their problems over the last nine years, they've really been sort of chasing after these, you know, ultra-talented guys that haven't really shown you much or that were past their prime, hadn't shown you much anymore, guys like – Jarrett Wright, A.J. Burnett was is a good example of this. Kevin Brown was one. And it goes all the way back to, I think, you're going to call me crazy, but I can prove this. I just haven't yet. Um, when the Yankees <laughs> traded in 2002, Ted Lilly, mm. they traded him for Jeff Weaver, and nothing has been the same since. That's a guy that they could have hung on to all these years who would have just what you want to say about AJ Burnett? He's he, about AJ Burnett. He's giving you innings. He wins games. Nothing spectacular, of course. But instead, they keep being seduced by these big money, big talent guys. And Ted Lilly just kind of outwins all of them. That's my theory. That's a good point. I never, I never thought about that. But if, especially if you trace back the timeline, uh, you know, other other than the than the World Series win in two thousand nine. Go back to 2002, and that's when you saw them bring all of these guys in. You could even put a Jason Giambi in there. You know, you could put a Gary well, Sheffield Giambi in there. Jason Giambi was one thing. Jason Giambi was a masher. He was the best guy at his position at the time. I'm strictly talking about pitching. Ted Lilly begat Jeff Weaver, who personally, well, he had some help from other guys, Soriano and, uh, ironically enough, Aaron Boone. But, but Jeff Weaver pretty much blew the 2003 World Series. And then he gets uh, spun off, and you end up with Kevin Brown, who his fingerprints are all over everything that happened in 2004. You could make the case that if they never make that Ted Lilly trade, the 2003 World Series loss to the Marlins and the 2004 tragedy never happen. <laughs> That's Trust uh, me, it, it's a strong case. No, I know. And I you think, have Ted Lilly to start some of those games instead of Kevin Brown or Jeff Weaver. Yep, no, it's a, it's it's a it's a great point, Phil, and I, I like your theory. I'd love to see a pamphlet or a brochure. Uh, no, but seriously, you I saw the that... blog piece. I can do that. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Maybe a white paper. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, and and you can see, you know, too, Phil, that that Brian Cashman learned from exactly what you're talking about because in 2006, 2007, he did not give up Phil Hughes. 
He did not give up uh, Jabba Chamberlain. He did not give up his young arms. Uh, yeah. The only one he eventually spun off was Ian Kennedy. like that, huge Chamberlain. Unfortunately, Chamberlain's on the shelf, but he's expected back next year, and he was pitching very well this year right up until he got injured. You've got Hector mm-hmm. Noesi, who pitched pretty well in relief tonight, gave the Yankees a chance to stay in the game and come back. That was a lot. I don't know if you guys saw the end of that. That was pretty pretty incredible. Um, I just, I just saw the David, final 4-6-5. Yeah, Nick Swisher hit a three-run homer. It was 6 nothing with two outs in the eighth, and Swisher went deep for a three-run homer. And I'm trying to remember uh, Posada, of all people. I thought you were going to call me to talk about him. But uh, he had a solo home run leading off the ninth. It was 6-4. Ended up being 6-5 after a two-out bases-loaded walk, after the bases were loaded when Jeter sacrificed. So you've got Swisher up with the bases loaded, 6-5. And he creamed one to dead center field that ended up falling into the center fielder's glove about a foot from the wall. Wow, that was poetic, the way you just described that. That was wonderful. Do we have? Uh, it was fun. It was, it was pretty wild, and I was... I was kind of rehearsing in my mind how we were going to talk about this if the Yankees ended up winning that game, but you couldn't uh, you couldn't take too much if they had, and they didn't, so we don't even have to worry about it. Is Posada still on the team? Believe it or not, yeah, he's got a uniform and everything. It was great. <laughs> he is he is very Jake Taylor esque at this point, without a doubt. He is. Yeah. He's. Uh, Although I think when he leaves the Yankees, he's not going back to the Mexican league, and he's. Uh, no. Well, he's not going to uh, Rene Russo either. But then again, I don't know. Posada's no. wife is doesn't sneeze at either. Yes, and then you know what? He's certainly not going to be on the Yankees coaching staff if Joe Girardi is there. We also know that. That's probably the case, but uh, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, get too worked up about the bad feelings that might exist between Girardi and Posada. Posada is a proud athlete at the end of his career. It's not a good time. All will be forgotten. I, you know, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, uh, and and just this idea that it's such a unique situation that I mean, it's really like out of a movie. What Girardi though uh, and Posada are going through, because you know, when do you have the manager who you know was a catcher and Posada took his job at the end of his career, and like now he's back managing him at the end of his career, and I mean, it really is a, a Hollywood script. You know, you can't write that. And, and you know, there was supposedly no love lost for the two guys at the time or whatever. I think it will eventually be water under the bridge and they'll they'll hang out at Old Timer's Day and, and you know, compare rings. But uh, it, it is really like a Hollywood situation. Uh, now, Phil, with Jeter, I guess rumors of the captain's demise were greatly exaggerated? Did we lose Phil? Oh, did we lose Phil? What happened? Is uh, OPS since the All-Star? I'm there. Hello. We got you. Thanks. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, I, I did lose you guys for a little while. Called back, but here we are. Yeah, Jeter's yeah. Um, Jeter's been a revelation since the All-Star break. His OPS is around 820. He had three more hits tonight. Oh, uh, wow. He is still not driving the ball, and I wouldn't expect to see him do it very much. He's got, I believe, nine extra base hits since the All-Star break. He is a singles hitter. Having said that, that's um, it's nice to have a singles hitter at the top of your lineup instead of a big hole, and that's great to see. I mean, the batting average is uh, it's in the two nineties now, so it's yeah, nothing He's... nothing to be upset about there. The defense has been good, the range is not, but his hands have been nice. It's fine. I wouldn't worry too much about Jeter. The end will come in a few years, but boy, that's uh, it's it's been nice to see that because he just doesn't need that constant 
questioning about, you know, where's where's your swing, what's happening. At least he doesn't have to deal with the questions right now. It's, it's you can move on to other things, and there are plenty of other things, AJ Burnett. So <laughs> yeah, he does. He deserves. He deserves better. You're right. I just I just got one 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 last thing on on Burnett before uh, we move on to the Giants because we want to get your take on uh, on the mash unit in the secondary over there. But with the Yankees and Burnett, do they? How do you see this playing out for the postseason? Do do they carry him on the active roster and put him in the bullpen, or do they not even carry him on the roster? Is that even a possibility? I'd be very surprised if they did not put him on the active roster. Not that this is a good reason, but he's making $16.5 million. I expect he will be on the active roster. I expect that... One way or another, if they can, they'll want to get him a start. Perhaps if the Yankees are up two to two games to one in a fourth game, they could go yep. to Burnett instead of Cologne. And then if he gets blown out again, you don't bring him back for the ALCS, if there is an ALCS. But I think that's a scenario. Short of that, he can be in the bullpen. He can probably be pitching the bullpen in a game one. You never yep. know. You could have a 0-0 game going into extra innings with Sabathia and Verlander, if that's the matchup. Hmm. Yeah, no, and I think I think uh, this too, boys. The other thing with Burnett that we are sort of discounting a little bit is that he's really liked in that clubhouse. I mean, you saw Yankee after Yankee come out, and you know, I know it's Jeter's job to do so; he's the captain. But you saw other guys really come out and stand up for AJ Burnett, and it appears to me that he is a he's a really well liked guy in that clubhouse. And I think if you leave him off a postseason roster, might not be good for team morale, you know. That's possible too. I, I like I said, I, I've always think, thought he's a likable guy. He just seems like an an interesting character, uh, an eclectic sort of guy. Um, you don't you don't run into a lot of people like that. So I'm not surprised to hear you guys say that uh, he seems to be a well liked guy. At the same time, everybody in that clubhouse wants to win, and yep. I'm sure if they won't admit it publicly, they certainly will uh, will say it in private. They would have to be very worried about A.J. Burnett taking the ball to start a game if the Yankees are down 2-1. Yep. No, you're right. And now, uh, Phil, we want to move on to the New York football giants while we have you. Uh, okay, that's a little more depressing, but let's shoot. <laughs> well, no, no, wait, no. No, wait. We have talked about this on the program. Uh, Dr. Ray Stat a couple Here weeks we ago. No, no. Dr. Ray Stat a couple weeks ago said uh, – this just feels like a four and twelve Giants team. No, oh, I wouldn't go that far. And I, we said I don't that, think no, no, wait right four there. And 12. No. Right. Now wait right there. Now I, I I don't know what to make of this Giants team. That's why one of the reasons we wanted to have you on tonight. Cal and I really do not know what to make of this team. Obviously they lost to Earl Thomas last night in the preseason for the season, which just sucks for them. It really does. Yeah, that's that's um that's going to be a big loss. Having already lost their first round draft pick, who played the same position, I was hoping that that was going to become a pretty good tandem, especially with Corey Webster as your third guy, and maybe we weren't going to have to see much more of Aaron Ross on the corner. Now he's going to be a starter. Aaron Ross mm-hmm. is capable, but he's also capable of just submarining the team either with an injury or just not being able to make tackles, not being able to cover anybody. Corey Webster really, I thought, looked terrible last night in what little bit I watched. He got burned a couple of times in the first quarter. Um, Terrell Thomas was going to be an important part of that secondary. But honestly, that's a position that was going to be a position of weakness for the Giants anyway. 
I think they can survive this if the front seven is as good as I think it can as, as it can be. And I have no worries about the defensive line. And I think the linebacking crew is a little bit underrated as well. Uh, there's not a lot of depth. But the guys that are starting in all seven of those positions, um, well, that defensive line can just be one of the best in the NFL, if not the best. They buried quarterbacks for almost the entire season last year. And I think you got a reminder of that last night against that Chicago Bears team that they just terrorized last year. If they can do that again this year, if the pass rush can be just as good, and I think it can be as good, if not better, um, that might overcome a few things in the secondary. There will be games where it's going to kill them, probably against the Eagles twice. (laughs) Now let's talk about um, Eli Manning and his comments the other day about uh, being Uh. an elite quarterback. Um, a lot of a lot of ado was made about his comments. Uh, personally, and, and I'm I'm no giant expert, but personally, I didn't think his comments were were all that out of line. What did you think about them? What is the guy supposed to say when he's asked a question like that? Are you you put yourself in the uh, elite quarterback in the NFL? Why would he say no? Would you want to play with that guy? Well, no, 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 that no. Question? That's fair, but I got to ask a question. That brings up a question then. You're you're absolutely right. Okay, but that brings up, as a Jet fan, that brings up a question for me, and that is, why is the same tact not applied to certain Jet players and or coaches when they are asked a question? Why are we always told that they should dodge the question or defer on the question? Why couldn't have Eli Manning said exactly what Mark Sanchez said? When asked that I question, didn't hear what would... Mark Sanchez said. It, Keep Mark, in mind, he... Eli Manning has won a Super Bowl and been Super Bowl MVP. Oh, okay, I, 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 and that's fair. I don't understand though why that means he gets to answer a question. Uh, uh, you know, he, uh, why does he get the what's he supposed to say when it wasn't a question about him winning a Super Bowl? And why does like Mark Sanchez, who was asked that question, Mark Sanchez says, "Well, that's not for me to decide. I don't." that stuff that's for other people to oh that's a that's a good way to handle it as well and eli manning could have handled it that way but i really don't care that that's not the way he handled it um, i'm certainly never going to get on an athlete for sounding like every other athlete right i yeah i'm just saying like I, that that excuse never gets applied to the jets and i understand it a lot of it's because rex ryan uh in particular is big on the proclamations and that stuff and hasn't won anything i get that but this was uh, I think it should apply in the media, and I think there's a, a little bit of a double standard in New York. Uh, hey, I would uh, – maybe I'm no. the wrong guy to ask because I would allow the Eli standard to apply to Mark Sanchez just fine. If they ask him if he's an elite quarterback and he says yes or at least says something like yes, I I think I'm capable of being that, fine. That's fine too. I, I, don't, I don't mind, especially if – why would you even notice it on the Jets? They do talk so much, and I really don't have a problem with that either. I, I really enjoyed the uh, the Rex Ryan era. I don't want it to end. There you go. See, that's why that's why I wanted to ask you, Phil, because it's been it's been very interesting to me to see the reaction. I think what Eli said was perfectly fine. I totally agree with you. I'm a big believer in the what's an athlete supposed to say if he's asked a question and he answers it honestly. You know why why does he get killed for that? He shouldn't get killed for that. And there's no yeah. Keep in mind this is still August and we have to talk about something. We don't have any real football to talk about yet, and you know we're done with the whole labor negotiation thing. So we need something. So so this is it for now, and it will be forgotten. It was very ungiant like. You know, in the in the span of one week, you had Jerry Reese 
supposedly uh, predicting that they will make the playoffs and make noise in the playoffs, so he denied it. Yeah, now that was uh, that one I didn't really get uh, too into because that was that just reeked of desperation, and um, <laughs> that that was just an easy one to see coming. And Jerry Reese should have just kind of stayed away yeah. from from the microphone on that one. You have Pat Hanlon, the uh, VP of Communications for the Giants, cursing people out on Twitter and calling them idiots, <laughs> uh, you know, which is, again, not very giant-like. And then the next day you have Eli Manning saying that he's a top-five quarterback when asked. Again, I don't have a problem with any of it, but it just seemed like a very, un- it seemed like a very un-giant-like week. From- yeah, I think if you take away the Pat Hanlon stuff and the Jerry Reese stuff and the, the Eli Manning thing existing on its own, nobody would even really give it much of a second thought because, I mean, Eli Manning still has that aw shucks thing, and it's pretty real with him. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think there's anybody that's going to hold this against Eli Manning. Oh no, 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 for sure. I, I don't think anybody's going to hold anything against anybody. Yeah, I, not I, in the I, league I, anyway. Right. No, no, and not in the media. I mean, he he did get more of a pass than anybody on the Jets does, uh, because he has one, and and he yeah. does get a little bit of a pass. You know, there was an entire article that Paul Schwartz wrote that I tweeted sounded like Eli Manning's mother wrote it. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, leave, leave my phone. He's a nice boy. You know, like. Uh, but all this, all this talk aside, when you look at this team, Phil, and, and again, Cal and I with the injuries uh, uh, to the defense and stuff, and I totally agree with your points as far as the D-line goes and the linebackers, although they did lose the Austin kid today too. Apparently yeah. Austin uh, a torn peck, so that's a little D-line depth that you lose. But that defense can more than make up – that D-line can more than make up for any deficiencies in the secondary. But overall yeah. – Looking at this team, Brandon Jacobs is back. Sounds like it looks like he's healthy. Has something to prove. Ahmad Bradshaw is back uh, on that offense. You have uh, Hakeem Nix another year. Hopefully he's healthy. There are a lot of pieces there. I just don't know what to make of this team. I feel like they could go seven and nine, or they could go twelve and four. I don't see twelve and four because I, all the pieces that are there. Most of them were there a year ago, too, and it just didn't quite seem to be a perfect mix. I don't see this being a very bad team. I came on, and you asked about the Giants, and I gave you this little woe is me kind of thing. I'm not really that that upset, but they weren't a playoff team last year. They're going to need a big improvement to be a playoff team this year, but one thing that I think you can count on being a big improvement, Eli Manning's not going to turn the ball over 30 times again. And if he doesn't, then the Giants are not going to the playoffs, and then they really have to start looking at some things, because if that happens a second year in a row, you've got a real issue that you have to address. But I think that was an aberration. I think the front seven will be very good. I think the running game will probably be very good. Lots going to come down to this offensive line. Remember, that's a unit that started just about every game together for about five years. Now they've moved deal inside. They've got a guy who's really untested and will Beatty starting at left tackle. If that doesn't worry you a little bit, you're not paying attention. Uh, the new center from San Francisco, David Boss seems to be pretty good. And I don't think anybody's picked up Sean O'Hara yet. So I guess the giants knew what they were doing there as much as it pained me to see O'Hara go. But uh, you know, that's a, a young guy out of Yukon at left tackle worries me a little bit. But let's see. I can't say that I know much about him. Well, now you talk about the real issues. If they if they miss the playoffs the second year in a row and, and you have to look at the real issues, are you talking about Tom Coughlin at that point? Are you no. talking about the coaching staff? No, I don't think so. I think, uh, you know, this team with all the injuries, I, first of all, who's going to fire Tom Coughlin? Is it going to be John Mara? That would be one thing. 
but I don't think Jerry Reese really has that bullet in his gun. Jerry Reese has had a pretty substandard offseason, this little free agent bonanza. He's not really distinguished himself. So if he lays the blame for a Giants failure at the feet of Tom Coughlin, I don't think that's going to sit so well. I don't think he's really got that option. Now, if the Giants do go 4-12, and 3-13, and 13, anybody's fair game. But I don't see that happening. If the Giants go 8-8 eight and eight and miss the playoffs, I don't know why you would fire Tom Coughlin because you didn't fire him a year ago when you had a similar kind of thing, even though the team didn't go 8-8. Eight and eight. Um, You know, a lot of the things that unraveled with the Giants last year really looked like coaching. They didn't show up to play at all against Green Bay. They blew the game against the Eagles, that disaster of a game where Tom Coughlin, to me, committed a cardinal sin going after the punter at the end of the game after it was his weak play calling in the second half that really blew that game. Not Matt Dodge's punt to Deshaun Jackson. Coughlin survived all that. I think he would survive this year if they don't make the playoffs as long as it's not a situation like 4-12 and 12, like we were talking about. Right, and like you just said, Phil, they were 10-6 and six last year, and a non-playoff team at 10-6, and six. and let's be honest. You know, they were a Deshaun Jackson punt return away from being a playoff team and keeping Green Bay out of the playoffs, who went on to That's win the right. Super Bowl. So, That's you know, right. they were 10-6. and six. They, in essence, were a playoff team last year. Yes, they didn't make it. They lost on a tiebreaker because they got waxed by Green Bay when they're, you know, were still reeling from the, from the Eagles' loss. And and so you 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 know uh, again there 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 is uh, a punt return away and some awful awful play calling in the second half away uh, against the Eagles from being a playoff team. So I, I would totally agree with you about that. The only thing I feel like about Coughlin is that at some point at some point these if he if he makes some bad and there and there was some coaching stuff there last year without a doubt you alluded to some of it but. I just don't know how long you get to live on that Super Bowl. I don't know. Is it? I mean, I I I just feel like you can't. You couldn't have. You couldn't have fired him off of last year because, like I said, I feel like they were a playoff team. But if See, goes, I thought you could have fired him off of last year because I think they were a playoff team, and you could argue that Coughlin's mismanagement of the Philadelphia game and his failure to get the team prepared to play against Green Bay could be right. cause for him to be fired. So I thought you no, could fire him off last year. That's fair. I just it's it would just be very difficult to sell firing a coach who won that Super Bowl off a ten and six season. Like I no, think that's that would fair enough. But sell. you're right. I, I think at this point he's no longer living off that Super Bowl. I think that, that Super Bowl is a memory now. Uh the yeah. team is no longer trying to grab the last vestiges of of what was a championship. It's a different team now. So I don't think he's living off of that anymore, but the giants are an organization that just, they're very stable. They don't fire people very often. Jim Fossil got seven years and keep in mind, Jim Fossil has not gotten anywhere near another NFL head coaching job. And he got seven years. So if he got seven, I think Coughlin could be good for a ninth next year. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right, Phil. I think you're right on the money in the idea that unless it's a catastrophe, Unless yeah. it's a, unless it's a every you know, God forbid Eli you know for Giant fans Eli gets hurt and you're three and thirteen, and it's the David Carr show you know unless it's uh, an utter catastrophe he keeps his job. Now yeah. one other thing that Cal and I have talked a lot about with the Giants is um, they coming into the season as you said a, a sort of asleep at the wheel free agency wise losing Kevin Boss losing the Steve Smith 
uh, saga, which was, you know, he he didn't get asked back, and, it, and people were upset about, uh, you know, their dance cards. That was said about seven times. I didn't have them on my dance card or something. I don't know. It's 1957. But, um, every, you know, all the noise is down the turnpike with the Eagles, right? And all the noise is with everything they did with uh, Namdi Asamoa and, and Vince Young and Ronnie Brown and – uh, they are the champions of the off season. Uh, do you think that the Eagles are as are going to be as good as advertised, or do you think that this is still a two team, maybe even welcome Dallas back into that uh, conversation, but a two team race in the NFC East? My head says yes about the Eagles. I think they are going to be pretty darn good. Now keep in mind we're only dealing with. One year of Michael Vick and his success as the, head, as the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. But, uh, boy, every move they made in the offseason, it looked pretty good. Having said that, um, I, I just – I thought the Giants played the Eagles so well the second time around. The collapse notwithstanding, they had the great game plan for Michael Vick, and I think they can employ something like that again. But now the Eagles always seem to find a way. And with Nandi Asamoa, who's just the best in the league, probably the best there's been in a generation as a cover corner, that, that's just that's a big, big piece that's going to help them so much. Um, I, I'm not saying the Giants can't play with the Philadelphia Eagles, but right now the Eagles, they, they were a little better than the Giants last year, and they certainly have improved themselves uh, over the summer. People are just grasping right now. Well, you know, they really got killed the other night by the Steelers. Um, it's meaningless. It's August. You know, people want to tear down the Eagles because they've, uh, you know, sort of made themselves the Miami Heat of the NFL. That's been the fashionable comparison. It's not the same thing. LeBron James is a guy who was being questioned, his his heart, his dedication to win a championship. I don't really think that's the case with Nandi Asamoah. That's a class act. That's the that's a guy that does things the right way. So, I mean, that's only one guy we're talking about. But I think the Eagles right now, if if I were an Eagles fan, I'd be awfully confident. Uh, last thing for me, how big a mistake this this was? You know, this after Plaxico Burris makes a catch in the end zone in the second preseason game of of the season. All of the talk is how how the Giants really made a huge mistake in not re-signing him, and they really dropped the ball on on trying to bring him back. Do you miss Plaxico Burris, or are you okay letting him go? Um, I, I say I'm that a little tongue-in-cheek. I would have liked the Giants to get Plaxico Burris back. There's no reason. I think he would have been uh, just what the doctor ordered. They need a possession receiver, and he's the guy. And prison or not, uh, you know, you can't coach size, and he's got size. I think that would have been a pretty helpful guy for the Giants to have back. I'm actually a little more upset that the Giants didn't seem to make any effort to try to sign Namdi Asamoah because I thought the Giants really were overrating their cornerback situation anyway, even before Terrell Thomas and Prince Amukamara got injured. Why couldn't the Giants for once say, you know what, maybe a big-name free agent is not the worst thing in the world to sign. Maybe we take a look at this guy, a shutdown corner with that front seven. Now we got something we can work with. That's the one I was more upset about. And so I thought that way all the way back in February when I knew he was going to be a free agent. That's the guy I wanted. And I don't think they were even in the mix. So do they have the money to sign him, though? I think so. They wouldn't have the money to sign anybody else. <laughs> they didn't really sign anybody else, though, when you think about it. Well, they signed David Ba-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a-a
The extra A is free, by the way. I think he threw that in. Oh, okay. All right. Free. That's nice. That's uh, Phil, free. Phil, thank you. Uh, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Will you come on again and uh, talk some more giant football as the season goes on? I hope we'll do that. And um, I'll tell you what, I, I'm I'm kind of chomping at the bit for a little Rangers hockey talk too. So we're what, about oh. a month away from that. Oh, you got it, my friend. You oh. you have the right uh, podcast slash radio show. For that, yeah, for hockey that's, talk, friend. That's the one. You don't usually hear people talking about, oh, only another month until hockey season starts because regular season hockey doesn't exactly get people excited. But I'm excited. I think the Rangers are going to be pretty darn good this year. Well, these two Islander fans here are very excited about the hockey season. Very excited about our young <laughs> our young bucks. We sure can't pick years, them, can't we? One of these years. There's talent there. I think the Islanders, one of these years, by accident, if only, they'll, they'll be <laughs> all right. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh if they're boy. still going to be the Islanders. That's right. The Kansas City Monarchs. They're not okay. going anywhere. <laughs> Let me tell you something. As a Ranger fan, I don't want to see the Islanders go anywhere. I would no, miss that rivalry not. terribly. Yeah, of course not. It's one of the best rivalries in sports. Uh, That's great. You are at New York Embassy still on uh, Twitter. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, yep, on Twitter, but I don't really use the Twitter too often. But New York Embassy dot blogspot.com for the blog. There's been a couple things up there this summer, not too much. Little stuff oh. on the Little League World Series. And oh, nice. I think it's a little silly. Wow, that's that was gonna be the fun load tonight, except Dr. E. Ray Stat uh was unable to join us. He had to leave the program. He's a doctor, you know, Phil. And um he uh but he texted us this morning, uh was it this morning, Cal? Uh you last night. Last night. Uh, and and his text was seriously with the Little League World Series. I'm not watching it. He's very upset about it. My hometown it. actually almost made it this year for the second year in a row. Once they got knocked out in the uh, New England semifinals, I was done with it. All the people around here are kind of giddy about this Pennsylvania team, but that's nowhere did, near where I'm sitting. So, Phil, did they win tonight? I was watching maybe a minute of it, and they were uh, it just uh, the first they were day. up seven to five in like the third inning when I walked away to take this phone call. So I haven't been near a TV screen since. Oh, right. I'm okay well, with that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> NewYorkEmbassy.blogspot.com, is that it? New York Sports Embassy. NewYorkSportsEmbassy.blogspot.com. Check them out, Phil Soto Ortiz. Thanks, Phil. We'll uh, we'll talk to you down the line. And we and we, by the way, got to get you to write something for uh, RTUSports.com. By the way, I'm going to hold you to that. Anytime, absolutely. Uh, thanks, brother. Take care. All right. Thanks, Phil. Uh, Phil Soto Ortiz uh, doing an awesome job talking about the Giants. I, I was going to take him to task about Namdi being the best corner in the league, maybe of a generation. Hello, Darrell Rivas. It's, it's, it's arguable. Pretty good, Cal. He's uh, he's pretty good. Yeah, you know, they're they're both pretty good, Steve. I, but I would take Rivas also. But That's fine. I don't think you could go wrong if you, if you say Namdi is. I think they're both that good. Revis is also four years younger, just FYI. <sighs> just saying, Cal. I, I'm allowed to just say. Yeah, you, I, I know. I know. We I know. Uh, we thank Phil for joining us. So uh, he he really is awesome and, and uh, a fun uh, guy to have. Cal, we have some time. I'm gonna do this. The way the beat kicked in. Time for the fun, 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 time for the fun
for the Ready to Unload Fun Load brought to you by Cheerios. Right you, around... Right, you know right around the, why? Because my son now eats them. Get out of here! He's on to Cheerios. Now he's on to O's. Congratulations! It's, it's, the O attrition rate, though, is not great. So no. If you put like 40 of them on the tray, he's maybe getting three in there. That's okay. We're losing about 35 O's. <laughs> That's okay. This is like filet mignon to him. Yeah. Oh, he's. Oh, forget about it. He's like. Uh, he's like. Uh, you know, the monkey hitting the feeder bar. You know? Wait till. You, wait till you introduce like fruit puffs to him. Get out of town. No. You will think he's in heaven? Yes. So, who did we hear tonight in the fun load song? I thought I heard around the twenty-second mark a slightly inebriated Tom Arnold. Now, for whoa, those of, whoa, whoa, that part. Now, for those of you who don't know what the hell Brian's talking about, uh, uh, that our producer, the Bishop Pop Culture PJ the Pooh, who is on assignment. Is he not on assignment? He is on assignment. He might be covering the earthquake, actually. He might be. He was covering the earthquake for us uh, today. He's our field correspondent. We were going to throw it to him and uh, have him be like Ollie from Family Guy. <laughs> What's what's the let's let's send it to our earthquake correspondent PJ. It's shaky. Thanks PJ. He's the best. Um he is on assignment. He will be back with us in a couple of weeks. We can't say what the assignment is. Uh, it's top secret. But he recorded that song, our fun load song, and every week he gets a different person in and he did do this before he went on assignment or consignment or sabbatical. Can we put him on sabbatical? No, he's on assignment. I want to. I want so badly to know someone who's on sabbatical. Well, Doctor Iray might be on sabbatical. That's a good point. Do you know? Have you had anybody in your life that's ever taken a sabbatical? I do. That, I have. I have someone. Do you? Yeah. I have not. My uncle, uh, my uncle Don, who is a Christian brother, very proud of him. Fifty years he's been a Christian brother. Went to Iona. And my uncle Don has gone on sabbatical. I th- I thought you were going to tell me he was on sabbatical for fifty years. <laughs> what a gig! Wow, <laughs> that's refreshing. He has done a lot of research. Interesting. <laughs> yes. So there's now your your wife is a teacher. Yes, she could go on sabbatical. She, some some will say she is on sabbatical. Don't you? <laughs> Don't you need to be like a teacher to go on sabbatical? Um, we're going to need somebody to somebody to let us know what the heck sabbatical means. Yeah, it's it's, it's really it's it's a certain profession that it's acceptable to go on a sabbatical. Otherwise, you're just you're just shirking your responsibilities. Yeah, that's that's, a good, that's right. Otherwise, then then you're just a deadbeat. Uh, anyway, uh, so Tom Arnold, perhaps in the fun. Dad, Dad, I'm on sabbatical. Yeah, well, sabbatical yeah. doesn't pay the rent. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, PJ has a different celebrity in every week, believe it or not, to sing on the fun load, to add a voice to the fun load song. This week, Cal believes it's Tom Arnold. It's star-studded, and he never tells us who it's going to be. So we yeah. have to 
figure it out, but he has he has lots of contacts. He does have. There's a lot of people rolling through the Freehold area, apparently. Freehold, New Jersey. What I wouldn't give for his Rolodex. Freehold, New Jersey is like a hotbed of rock and roll right now, and and past and present. Sure is. Speaking of which, Cal, uh, Ashford and Simpson. Yeah, Nicholas Ashford. Let's uh, is no longer. Yeah, he passes away at the age of 69, solid as a rock. Right. That's what uh, they wrote. Uh, Ain't no mountain high enough. Mm-hmm. Ain't no valley low enough. They were a couple and together for over 40 years. Never on sabbatical. Never on sabbatical, and you don't see that too often in the music industry. So That's correct. That's uh, a credit to them. Yes. Uh, I do have a text before we get to what I want to ask you about in the fun load, Cal. Mm. I have a text from our buddy Keith Lee McWilson okay. who uh, says, lay off the Little Leaguers, and then in, ca- in all caps, let them play. Let them play. Let them play. Of course, he's uh, he's referring to the Bad News Bears. Take the Astrodome, right? No, which Bad News I Bears? Don't, I don't think the I don't think it was they take the Astrodome. <laughs> storm the Astrodome. <laughs> the Bad News Bears storm the Bastille. Uh was that the Bad News Bears in Breaking Training? Breaking Training, yes. Astrodome or bust. <laughs> I don't think that that was a subtitle, Kelly. It was on the poster. <laughs> Uh, with a picture of Walter Matthau with his arms up, like eh. no, Walter Matthau's not in that one. That's uh, oh right, it's um, William Devane. William Devane is the coach. That's, That's right. right. And Kelly Leak drives the the bus. He Four- does. Tatum O'Neill is not in that one either. Fourteen-year-old Kelly Leak drives the bus uh, to the Astrodome. Thank you, Keith. We will lay off the Little Leaguers. And thankfully, Dr. E. Ray Stat is not here to rip on the Little Leaguers. No, he's got some strong thoughts, though. <laughs> he's got some strong thoughts. Wow. <laughs> they may be, that might be a special, like an RTU special. We may need a whole separate podcast. If you have kids, you're not going to want to listen to that one. That's right. Put the kids to bed. Now, here's what I got for you in the fun load, Cal. Two things. Okay. Number one. This is just a real quick one-off, but I noticed this the other day. I sent you that picture of Wes uh, watching Karate Kid. So the other day I'm feeding Wes, and he's in his high chair, and his his back is to the television, and I'm watching Karate Kid as I'm feeding him. Okay. And he hears the best around, the music, and is craning his neck to see the television. <laughs> So I took some pictures of it, and I and I moved them slightly so he could see the television. Right. Uh, here's something I noticed, and I, I wrote this on Facebook because uh, I posted that picture of Wes on Facebook. Here's something I noticed, Cal. I need an answer to this immediately. Okay? Yeah. The All-Valley Karate Championship that Daniel and Mr. Miyagi have been training for. Okay? Training for weeks. Big thing. They're going to meet the Cobra Kai and everything, the whole thing. And they get there, and they don't know the rules or the point scoring. I think there's a very simple explanation for that. Have they done any preparation whatsoever for the tournament? Have they done any preparation? They 
you what were they doing for the previous 90 minutes? But you don't know the rules, Cal? The, rules. the kid the kid didn't know how to fight a mere 82 minutes before the tournament. But it was their suggestion to do it at the All-Valley Championship. Could he there, – there's a pamph – there's got to be a pamphlet. I know you can't look it up online. There's got to be some – he has to learn the rules from Allie, from Elizabeth that, Sue. That's what I was going to say. What, else, what other purpose did she serve? Or his mother? She was his translator. His, his poor mother. I mean, she, she, she could have looked up the rules. Well, I guess they weren't looking anything up back in 1985. But No. Again, you don't find out the rules of the competition. Let me tell you something, Steve. If, if, if Mr. Miyagi and Daniel would have wasted precious training time to look up the rules, the rules wouldn't have mattered. It would not have taken that long. I, I, I'm sorry. This is a major I – have, I have watched this movie 860 times, and it's the first time I realized – how do you go into the tournament? You don't know the rules. The Cobra Kai know the rules, Cal. Say that. I'll tell you. Well, isn't? Wouldn't you think that the the tournament organizers would 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 remind the the participants of the rules? No. I mean, no? what what responsibility do they have there? You sign up for the All Valley Championship, right? You get there. You it it's 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 clear as day. It was probably on a flyer. Or a pamphlet? Somewhere, the rules are there. I think that's a terrible job. Um, see, I'm not going to fault them. They had bigger fish to fry leading up to the tournament. So you're they, saying that Miyagi... Um, I, I, will, I will give you the fact that, that someone else in his life should have probably... that you know Everybody's assigned a role. All right? His role was to train Daniel LaRusso. Miyagi's role was to teach him, right? Elizabeth Shue, she's got a little time on her hands. Do some research. Hit a library. Wow. I don't know. I, I don't think that it was – I don't think that it was uh, Miyagi and LaRusso's place. I'm, I'm not going to fault them. I'm not going to fault sorry. them. Sorry. You're, you're going into this, this all-valley competition with the Cobra Kai and the whole thing. I'm going to know the – I'm going to look it up. I'm going to find out what the rules – I'm going to find out what scores me a point, which brings me to my next point. But listen, all's well that ends well. Well, yeah. But, the, that's, but that's, that doesn't do me – my next point though, Cal. So you get a point for the head or the arm or whatever. The fight with with – I'm still very fuzzy on the rules. Or the point the point system? The point system. I need this explained to me. How how can how can he uh, – how can uh, uh, Johnny – Drop a big elbow on his knee, and that's not a point, but it's not a disqualification. Let's just stop right there and and reset, gentlemen. There's no deductions. What is going on at the All Valley Karate Championships? I mean, they, they were they were clearly in cahoots with the organizers of the tournament, the Cobra Kai. I mean, right? I, they gotta be. I mean, Crease is, of course. Crease is on the board in All Valley. He's a board member. He's Crease is know. on the All Valley board. Yes, Johnny's father clearly on the board. A oh, very powerful man, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, you know, I, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any question. Johnny, uh, Dutch. I think Dutch's dad was probably on, on the board. They all were. They were all pillars of the community, and their kids took advantage of that status. 
And it's why they were so, you know, they well, were bad guys. This has been eating at me. The other thing I had for you, fun load wise, um, it's not it's not nearly as good as the Karate Kid thing, but okay. I'll but I'll say it anyway. All right. Well, I, you know what? I don't know if we have time. I don't know if there'll be time. Say it. No, no, I'm serious. I think we should save it for next week because it's it's a it's a long topic, and it's it's about um, you know me not having the first year of my life. In ni- the first year in 19 years that I haven't had uh, jet season tickets, and I'm not. I, I want to talk to you guys about what I don't know what to do with myself. Wow! You know, like I, I, it's just bizarre to me that I'm not going to at least six jet games this year. Wow! And I want to talk about the idea of watching a game at home, that experience. And I know Simmons, uh, the sports guys, talked about this a lot, but I want to. I think that's a fun load for next week because that experience of watching at home, I want to see is it better than going to the game? Hmm. <laughs> I don't think we can talk about this right now. Stumped. No, I'm not stumped. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I think I think we need more time. I think it needs more time. So, are you telling me that I am not? I'm not going to be able to talk to you about this until next Tuesday because I, when, when we go off the air, I want to talk to you about this. <laughs> you're going to have to wait. I'm afraid you're, you're going to wait. have to wait. You know what? Dr. E-Ray just came back online. <coughs> Boy, I sneezed right there. Wow. See that? You. Do, do we have a sneeze button? <laughs> we don't. We'll, we'll get it in post. Oof. Oof. Uh, and, and the sniffle as well. Dr. Ewing, boy, this is good radio. Dr. Ewing just came online on Skype. Should we try to add to the conversation, get his quick take on Little League Baseball? Let's give him a quick call just in case. Let's see. Let's see. We're we're calling him. Remember, this is live. This is live. If we get him, we get him. And if not, if we don't, music. If, we get, if we get him, he'll probably start cursing because he'll probably not realize that we're on the air. And uh, – Let's see. Oh, he's not picking up. He's not picking. Oh, no, let it ring. Picking up. I, I'm letting it ring. It's let Skype. It ring. It, it's Skype ringing though, which is is wholly unsatisfying. The Skype ring because nothing's happening. But it's on his end. It is right. But on our end, it's 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 not like when we call somebody from the switchboard. When we call from the switchboard here on Blog Talk Radio, it's hot, Cal. It feels like you're in it. Right. And not so. He's not answering. Can you imagine? Where, where is he? Where could he be? What could he be doing in there? Why would he pop online at this time of night and not be readily available for ready to unload? I don't understand it. That's a terrible job. Wait till wait. He, listen. Wait till I, I tried it and I hung up. Wait, it's ringing again. I'm calling him back. <laughs> oh, that was you. You did that. Okay. Yeah. Hey, Cal. Uh, one other thing for the fun load. So a friend of mine, you know that that buddy of ours, Jay, who's a friend of the program, likes the program quite a bit, and is yes. a, a folk musician in a band called the Yayas. They're very, very good. Their website is uh, wearethyayas.com. Uh, that's Y A Y A S. They're excellent, great folk group. Um, Jay is is a really cool guy. He's a big listener to the program, and uh, we were joking about making them the official folk band of Ready to Unload. Right. Uh, and they may actually uh, do a cover of the Fun Load song. Oh, that's great! Right. So we were we were joking about how great it would be if we could get folk music somehow involved in the show. 
And okay. he ha- he has a friend, another folk musician whose name is Mark Brown, who recorded a Let's Go Met song, folk song. Oh, really? With John Sebastian. From the Love and Spoonfuls. From the Love and Spoonful. Also a big Met fan. And wait, wait for it. Steve Summers. Is, is on the song. Is in the song. They have quotes from Steve Summers like, oh, there's a home run. In the song, it's great. Wait, Paul McCartney was on the song too? <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, wow. yeah. Let's go, Mets. In around the dingle, here we go. Bopper, bopper, bopper. I said, he's a good one. That's a popper. John Neese is a popper lopper. <laughs> and then, you know, all of a sudden, Luke is Duda. Sit in the ball. Let's go, Mets, you know. Everybody clap your hands. You have made, you've made Steve Summers British. I have. This guy, Mark Brown, um, wrote this great Mets song, and uh, we're going to have him on the show. Maybe we're going to have him on the show to talk about the song. Oh, boy. Do you think we... Do you Anything think we else can get going? a tease? <laughs> wow. This is how, really how you got a movie coming out? I hope people are listening to this next Monday. <laughs> and they think, wow, this is all tomorrow? These I, I I have to listen. I must know. I'm going to be on Conan next Thursday. <laughs> I got a four minute spot with Conan O'Brien. Nice. I am doing the ha ha hole in uh Topeka, Kansas. It's a good gig. It's a big gig. Hey, uh, oh, real, real, real quick. This, yeah. just, this just came to me. It, it really has nothing to do with anything except that when you said "ha ha hole," I thought of "curb your enthusiasm." Right. Have you been watching it this season? I have. Okay, it's good. Is it as all-time great as everybody is making it out to be? Where Larry David could essentially go on, on air and, and just read a book for 22 minutes and everybody would say that it's the greatest thing ever. No. No, absolutely right? not. But I will say this. I, I saw the juicing episode. That was, okay. that, was, that was last week's. That was Sunday's. That was Sunday's. Got to be one of the best sports analogy sitcom ever. I, right. I, I mean, just perfectly done. I agree. I agree with that. I got to put it right up there with Gary Shandling, with the natural, with uh, ping pong, <laughs> the ping pong, the natural episode of Gary Shandling show. Of yeah, the it's Gary Shandling show. And it's got to go right up there with Seinfeld, with uh, the Mets and Hernandez, and a, and a well, second and a second spitter. Well, there you go. I mean, what's the common denominator there? Larry David. Right. And by the was a hack. <laughs> you don't hear that a lot. He's been riding Larry David's coattails all this time. Yeah, that's not one you hear a lot. No, no. And Jerry Seinfeld. What a hack. It's completely false. I don't know what I'm talking about. Did you listen to Seinfeld's bit? What hackery. Um, the, juicing <laughs> episode, <laughs> the juicing episode was magnificent, Cal. Magnificent. It was, it, yeah, no, it, it really was. But I, it's, it just seems like... Lately, it doesn't matter what kind. No matter how good or or how average, there's, there have been no bad episodes this season. I'll, I will grant you that. True, but even if it's like average or slightly above average, it, it, it just seems like the hype machine is in way overdrive, 
And it's like, you know, let's let's scale it back just a little bit because he can be better. You know what, though? I think – you know why, though, Cal, I think? Why? Because it's 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 like a comeback season. You know what I mean? It's like a comeback season. So comeback seasons are always – even – they're always judged as being better than they actually are because he's got his fastball back. You know what I mean? I mean last season had a couple of ridiculously standout episodes with Bam Bam Funkhauser and stuff like that. and mm-hmm. uh, But it, as overall – it looked like he lost his fastball a little bit, and I think this season his fastball is definitely back. And so therefore, you know, like right now he's like, you know, they're at the All Star break at like you know twelve and two, you know, but they may have like a three eighty RA. And, and I know the sports guy compared it to baseball seasons, so and pitching seasons. I'm not trying to do that, but that's what I. I it's a great analogy because it's true. Yeah. I think people think they're better than they are right now. But it's been but the juicing episode is ridiculously good, Cal. No, of course, of course. Yeah. The best part about it is I didn't see it coming. With the Hall of Fame with the Hall of Fame tickets, I did not see it coming. Be careful. We don't want to spoil anything. I don't care. Come on now. What are you, Dr. E Ray? I am Dr. E Ray. <laughs> You're not allowed to watch anything on D V R and he just refuses to understand it. That's right. Uh, all right, that's gonna wrap it, Cal. I guess he's not around. Great call on the uh, curb your enthusiasm question. Great call. Well done. Just thought about it. All right, uh, that is all the time we have on Ready to Unload for this week, episode eleven twenty four. Thanks for joining us. And before we go, uh, Cal, final unload. My, my final unload is going to be the same as it was last week, except now we are three shopping days away from Draftmas, and keepers are due tomorrow. Very nice, yes. And you should you should be all over that, Cal. Well, I, I, I said that because when I listen back to the episode tomorrow, it will remind me the keepers are due tomorrow. And uh, my final unload is uh, has to do with Karate Kid. Uh, I, I need you to go back and take a look at what I'm talking about, people. Okay, we are through the looking glass here. But it's also uh, to Karate Kid Part 2, the lamest thing I have ever seen in my life. Because it was on right after Karate Kid, Cal. And they, they explained away Allie, or Elizabeth Shue in one sentence. <laughs> he, he gets back from the prom. It's the morning after the prom. And She's in love with a football player at UCLA. That's how they got rid of Elizabeth Shue. Boom, boom, boom. Bing, bing, bing. And then she's gone. And then Allie tells me she's in love with a football player at UCLA. On the night of the prom? Really? You just won the All-Valley Championship. I got a lot of problems with the Karate Kid. We'll see you you next week, everybody. Say goodnight to the people, Cal. Goodnight to the people, Cal.